Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit whbcwaco.org. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 20, as we look at these words this morning from the pen of Peter and say, how to silence the critics. Listen to what Peter writes. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from simple desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves to the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. The first thing we see in this passage is that to, to silence the critics, we are to live the good life. Look at verse 12. He says, live such good lives among the pagans. He says, Give, live the good life. Now, you may have a different opinion of what the good life is. I, I remember hearing one guy describe the good life this way. He said, the good life to him is checking out the waves in the morning, checking out the hot babes at night while he plays in his band, all of this while collecting $200 on food stamps. Uh, he was living the good life. Uh, that's what he thought. Now, you may have your idea of what the good life is. Obviously, I'm, that's not what I'm talking about in this. I'm talking about living a good life that honors God by the way you live it. That's what I'm talking about. That when it says, live the good life, it says, live a, a life that honors God. In verse 11, he says, he urges us as aliens and strangers of the world. This is why we'll live the good life, because this world is not our home. This is not the where we take up our habitation, our permanent habitation. He says, so because we are aliens and strangers of the world, listen, people are going to look at us and say, are we living according to the values of heaven? Are we living according to the values of this world? They want to know that since you say you, this is not your home that just passed through, how are you living your life as a reflection of your home? He said, because you're aliens, because you're strangers, don't live the way of the world. In other words, live the way that God would have you to live. He says, well, sinful desires, get rid of these sinful desires. Look at verse 2, or look at that second part. Abstain from sinful desires. Here's Paul's talk, Peter's talking about personal discipline. Usually when we see this word desires, we think he's talking about sexual desires. That's what we usually think of. That's, uh, that word is translated a lot of times to mean that. In this context, though, it means any desire that comes from our fallen nature, any desire that comes from our fleshly nature. 
What does he say? He said, abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. He said, these things of the flesh, these things that you used to desire, they are, they are in a war with you. Did you know that you were in a war? Did you know that Christianity is a battlefield, not a playground? We are at war, and there's people out there, there's, a, there's an enemy out there that wants you, and he wants everything about you. He wants your life, and he wants your testimony. Because if he can have your testimony, guess what? You're of no use to Christ. You're of no use to the kingdom of God because he has your testimony. So he says, abstain from these sinful desires that war against your soul. These sinful desires affect your spiritual life. All the years I've been in pastor, all the years I've been in Christian ministry, <clears throat> I haven't been as disturbed as I am today as I look at the way people live their Christian lives. Now, I'm not their judge. I'm not their judge. But, but it, it's the way they, they, they live their Christian lives. It's the caliber of profession Christians. Many of them, I can't tell the difference between a pagan and a follower of Jesus. They have the same values, the same beliefs as those who say they do not believe. And I worry about the future of Christianity if that's the testimony that we are giving to people. In verse 12, he says, Live such good lives among the pagans that, what? Though they accuse you. Let me tell you what. They are going to accuse you. They are going to be critical of you. You hear it every day. Accusations are leveled at Christians. You see, the lifestyle of us as a Christian, we either have a negative impact or it will have a positive impact. And the people are going to be critical of Christianity. They are going to accuse you of something. He goes on, so though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. It may be that you impact people negatively by the way you live your life, by the things you say, but the things you do, it may be that your Christian life impacts people in a negative way. Look at this way. Let me ask you this. Do the people you associate with, do the people that you hang with, do the people that you run with, do they know that you're a believer? Do they know it? They should. They should. Because the way you live your life in front of them will impact them. He goes on and talks about verse 12. He says, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Here's what he's talking about. Peter talking about, says, he's talking about the day when God comes to judge. Someday God is going to come and judge, and he's going to judge everything. He's going to judge that. He says, and here's what he's talking about. He says, on that day that God comes to judge, there are going to be some people that are going to glorify God because of you. Here's what he's talking about. As you're out there living your Christian life, you're making a, a testimony to people that you may not even know that you're making a testimony. But they see your life, they see your testimony, they see your witness. And because of that, they are drawn to want to have more knowledge about God, more knowledge about Jesus Christ. And unbeknownst to you, they become a follower of Jesus. And so on the day that God comes to judge, on the day that he comes at the second coming of Jesus, when he comes again, there will be many people that will glorify God on account of the testimony that they saw in you. That's what he's talking about in, in that passage. 
They will see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. Let me ask you a question. This is a very pointed question. Is there anyone that will glorify God on the day because of your testimony? Is there anybody that will give glory to God because of the testimony that you lived on the day that Jesus comes? Your testimony makes a difference in the world. You see, the most powerful testimony for the Christian faith is the way we live our lives in the, in the school, in the way we live our lives in the job, in the way we live our lives in the neighborhood, in the way we live our lives in this community in which we live. And I am convinced. And look, I'm naive, okay? I'm a very simple individual. I'm very naive. But I believe, I believe if you will live your life openly as a follower of Jesus Christ, that it will impact the people you see. And they will be flocking to this church because they will want to know what is it about you that makes you different. And they will want to know. Your testimony follows you wherever you go. I believe that as we live out that truth. But if nothing else, it will stop. It will silence the critics. Look at verse 15. If you go down there, he says, For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Did you see that? It is God's will that you silence the critics. God's will. So if you don't silence the critics, guess what? You're in disobedience to God's will. It's God's will that you silence the critics. The word used there for silence, to silence, is the word muzzle. It was used of Jesus in Matthew 22 when he silenced uh, the Sadducees. He put a muzzle on them. It means they could no longer speak. They could no longer attack him because he had silenced them. And they no longer had anything negative to say about Jesus. Did you know that you have the ability to muzzle the critics by the way you live your life? They won't be able to say anything negative about you because you're a person of integrity, you're a person of truth, you're a person of honor. To silence the critics, we ought to live the good life. Second truth, you see, to silence the critics, we ought to be submissive. Ah. Does it kind of leave a bitter taste in your mouth, ladies, men? This is not just talking about ladies, but it's talking about men. That, that word submit. Just to say that word submit, just we don't like that. We hate that word submit. Look at verse 13. He says, submit yourselves. Stop right there. Submit yourselves. The key there, submit yourselves. Nobody can make you submit. This is something you do voluntarily. This is something you do willingly. You submit yourselves. That word submit, it's actually a military term, and it means to rank under. It means to subject yourself under another person in an established hierarchy. You're coming in underneath that person. He's saying, Christians, that we are citizens. We're aliens and strangers in this world, but guess what? We still live in this world. And because we live in this world, there's things that we are supposed to do. He says that we are to submit ourselves, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake, what? To every authority instituted among men. Every authority instituted by, by man for the Lord's sake. So you do it as an obedience to the Lord. You do it because that's the way the Lord has ordered society to work. 
That's the way he structured it to work. So we submit ourselves to that. To every God-ordained authority, we submit under that person. We put ourselves under their authority. Notice what he says. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority. Why, why are we doing it for the Lord's sake? To glorify God. To bring the bare testimony to Him. For the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority. That's the top dog. Uh, that's, we don't have kings today, at least not in America. We have president. We have a, a president. Uh, verse 14, he goes on and says, or to the governors. And notice what he says, or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. So Peter is saying we have a responsibility to be obedient citizens. That's our responsibility. Now think with me for a moment. How do we flesh this out? Let me tell you this. No government official has the right to tell me what to preach or what to teach. I do not call the mayor. I do not call the governor, and I certainly don't call the president to get his permission to preach or teach what I'm going to preach. No government has the right to tell us as a church what we ought to preach and what we ought to teach. But they do have some authority over us. For instance, if we wanted to, just say we wanted to do a feeding program here at the church, where we opened up our kitchen and we began feeding homeless people in the church. They do have the authority to come in and say, okay, if you're going to do that, then you have to bring your facilities up to code. The kitchen has to have certain things in it. You have to have certain, ins it, you know, egress, ingress, easements. You have to all the They do have the authority to tell us how we can use these facilities in such a way. And we, as good citizens, we submit to those authorities. But... We submit to the authorities that are over us as long as they don't infringe upon our right and our responsibility to preach the Word of God. They don't have that authority. I was reading this week, and I haven't had a chance to read into it, but basically it's this, is that apparently the Austin uh, Independent School District is about to shut the door for a church, Celebration Church in Georgetown, who's using one of their schools for worship. And the, 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 the thing about that is saying you can no longer use our facilities because the LGBTQ community has said that they do not believe, uh, they believe marriage is confined between a man and a woman. Therefore, they should not have access to the public facility. Celebration Church has a responsibility to preach the Word of God and no government entity no authority, no president, no court has the authority, has the right to tell a church what they can and cannot preach. But in the areas that we can submit, we do submit. We do submit. Why? Because we want to be a good witness. We want to be, a, we want to be responsible. Listen, we have a responsibility to obey. That's good citizenship. Good citizenship is a positive testimony to the critics of the way we live. Verse 14, look at what he says. He says, they are there, what? To punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Punish those who do wrong, commend those who do right. Here's what he's saying. He says, look, 
If you don't do anything wrong, you have no fear of the government. But if you do something wrong, then you, have, you will be afraid of the government. I've learned that just in my own time. You know, if you observe the speed limit, I don't care if you like it or not. If you observe the speed limit, you don't have anything to worry about. But you know you do, don't you? You said there's a, uh, Bosky Boulevard is the worst one in Woodway. Man, that is a speed trap waiting to happen. I said, you know, they got all those hills, and you, you, you crank it up a little bit to get up the hill, and just to get to the top of the hill, there they are waiting for you as you're going 35 and a 30. Not that it's ever happened to me, because I'm a law-abiding citizen. But the very minute you see a police car, what do you do? You look down at your speed number, don't you? Was I speeding? Did I make an illegal turn? That's the first thing you do. And he said, look, as long as you're obeying the laws, you don't have anything to be afraid of about the laws. Just obey them. That includes paying your taxes, by the way. You submit. Because they have responsibility over those things. Look at verse 16. He says, live as free men. Did you know you're free? We're free. We are not under the law. We are no longer under sin. Jesus Christ has set us free. He has set us free from the law. He has set us free from sin. But notice what he says, live as free men, but, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. What he's saying here, he says, do not use your, your freedom that you have in Christ as some kind of cover-up that gives you an excuse not to be a good citizen. He said, don't use that. You can't do it. Well, I'm a Christian, therefore I don't have to do what the government says. Yes, you do. As a good citizen, you are to do that. Why do we not abuse our freedom? He tells us we are to live as servants of God. We live as servants of God so we can be His witness to what it means to be a good citizen and ultimately bring glory to Him. Verse 17, he said, Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. He says, fear God, honor the king. He says, respect the Lord. And you do that by honoring the leader that is over you. Listen, whoever is the president of the United States, we owe it to respect him. Whether that is Barack Obama or Donald J. Trump or Bernie Sanders, whoever it might be. We as Christians have responsibility to respect that position. We have responsibility to do that. So we've got to be careful what we say about our government officials. We have to be careful. We silence the critics by being submissive. Third truth. To silence the critics, we are to be respectful. Verse 18, he says, slaves. We would understand that today as employees because we do not have slaves in America. I believe we do have slavery in America, but I'm not going to get political about that, okay? I believe there is an underground system going on that keeps people subject to slavery. Pay them low wages, you know, hide, they, they hide in, in the shadows. But for practical purposes... We don't have slavery here in America. It may be elsewhere, but we don't have it here. He said, slaves, submit yourselves to your masters, what? With all 
respect. So we are to, to submit ourselves to our employees. We are to be respectful toward others. In verse 17, he talks about this. He says, show proper respect to everyone. That's what Christians ought to do. We ought to show respect to everyone. Some of you may have saw a movie, maybe your grandchildren, a movie by the name of Ella Enchanted. I don't know if anybody's seen it. It's a real cute movie, very family-friendly. In the movie Ella Enchanted, there, there's a group of individuals that they have to fill certain roles in society. For instance, if you're an elf, you can only be an entertainer. You can sing, you can dance, you can entertain. That's all you could ever do. But there was one elf that he wanted to be a lawyer, but he couldn't be a lawyer because he was an elf. And the giants, the giants could only be crop pickers. No matter how much they might want to be an entertainer, or they might want to be something else. All they could ever do would be a crop picker. That was it. And then the ruling class, they had disdain for every one of them. They didn't show respect for any of them. But Peter says that we are to show respect for everyone, regardless of their status, regardless of their station, regardless of who they are. We ought to show respect for every person, no matter who. They may be. These were radical words in those days. Remember, probably many in the Christian church, if not half, they were slaves. They were owned by someone else. And Peter is telling them, he said, slaves, show proper respect to your master. Slaves, show proper respect to those. He's saying there is worth in every individual. But he's also telling masters to show respect as well. There's worth in every individual. Verse 18, he, he says, slaves, we think of that as employees like, like I talked about. You know, now some of you might think you're a slave. <laughs> Let me assure you that you're not. Uh, you may think that your master, that your, 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 uh, your uh, employer is your master, is your Lord. But look at what he says, verse 18. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect. Respect the people you work for. Respect the people you work for. He says, respect not only to those who are good and considerate. He says, some of you have, some of them had masters that they were good masters. And, and they were considerate of it. But then he goes on, he says, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Respect those who are harsh. Even to those to whom you can do nothing right. Some of you that still work, you know what I'm talking about. You've got that kind of boss, don't you? You No matter what you do, you cannot make that person happy. It just seems like they wake up on the wrong side of the bed every morning. And no matter what you do, you cannot make, you ha make them happy. You cannot please them. God's Word says, respect them. Respect them. Whether they're good and considered or whether they are harsh. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You're going to go to work there in the morning, and that's the kind of employer you're having. You said, don't remind me, preacher. You know, I was having a good weekend until you said that. Hopefully none of my staff feels that way. Uh, you know, I'm really, I'm, I'm pretty easy. But some of you know, you've got to go at work. You've got to go to a place to work. And these people are hard. Peter says, respect them. Respect them. Respect by being submissive is what he says. I know that kind of dovetails with what we said in the last passage. But here's the difference. There's a difference between, between uh, uh, submission, just submitting, and submission with a smile. <laughs> There's a difference. 
One of them, you do it begrudgingly. Well, I'll do this, but I don't really want to. And the other one says, I'll do it willingly. Willingly. There's a difference in what Peter is saying in this passage. He goes on, verse 19. He says, for it is commendable. It is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. He says, if you're treated wrongly and you're mistreated in the workforce, whatever that way, if somebody, you're passed over for the promotion, somebody else gets the raise and you don't get it, or they get that cushy office and you don't get it, and you feel you're being mistreated, he says, it is commendable. It is commendable if you bear up under the pain of unjust suffering because you are conscious of God. He says, you will silence the critics. You will silence the critics by doing that. These individuals are giving you a hard time. But he said, but when they're giving you a hard time and, and you just smile and, and do what you're supposed to do, it's evidence of God's grace working in your life. That's what it is. It's evidence that God is gracious to you and you're able to endure the hardship that may come your way. Verse 20, he says, but how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it. There are just, there are, just uh, there are some Christians that they're just a bad employee. Can I just tell you that? Uh, they're a bad employee. They're always taking advantage of their employer. Uh, they're always uh, doing things that, uh, that they shouldn't be doing. And what winds up happening, they get treated bad and they get fired. And then they come and say, well, I got fired for being a Christian. I said, no, you didn't. You got fired because you're stupid and you're a lazy employee. That's why you got fired. He says, don't be like that. And then verse 20, he goes on. He said, but if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. Be careful how you live. Because someone is watching. If you're mistreated and you respond in a positive way, that's okay. He says that is commendable before God. You'll be rewarded someday in the future. We ought to live the good life. We'll be submissive to those who are over us. And we ought to be respectful. So that others will see that Jesus makes a difference in our life. I think of Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus was up on the cross. And when he was up on the cross, it said the thieves began to mock him and criticize him, both of them. Both thieves joined in the criticism of Jesus. But then the one thief began to notice something different about Jesus. He began to see how Jesus endured his mistreatment. He endured his pain and his suffering. Now Jesus put himself up there. He didn't have to be there. He could have removed himself from that. And the thief watched him. And he heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them. Well, they don't know what they're doing. And the thief watched how Jesus endured the agony. And how he never spoke out against his accusers about those who mistreated him.
And in the moment, he said, Jesus, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today, today, you will be with me in paradise. And when the time came for God to come and take his soul, his soul joined with Jesus in paradise. How'd that happen? Because he watched the testimony of Jesus. And he put his faith in Jesus. What about you? Does your testimony lead people to turn to Jesus or turn away from Jesus? This is what Peter's talking about in this passage. We live in some hard times. We live in some troubling times. But we can rise above them by the way we live our life. In a moment, we're going to give you an opportunity to respond to what you've heard today. I don't know how you need to respond. Maybe you need to come and pray for your boss. And I know most of you have been retired. But maybe you had a bad boss and you're still angry at him. Maybe you ought to call him up and say, you know what, I want you to know I forgive you for the way you treated me. Or I hope you forgive me for the bad employee that I was. Wow, that would be radical, wouldn't it? Or maybe you're in that situation today, whatever it might be. Maybe God is challenging you to do something. Maybe you need a church home. We can tell you how to be a part of this fellowship of believers. Whatever God is leading you to do, we're going to invite you to come. Kip's going to come and lead us in a song. Marilyn's going to come and play. Would you join with me as we stand together and I'll lead us in a time of prayer. Father, we come before you this morning thanking you for this opportunity you've given to us to be here today, to worship you, to pray, to give our offerings, our tithes, and our gifts. Father, to hear your word, to challenge us, Father, to be a testimony for you in every situation we are in. As a student, as an employee, as a neighbor, as a citizen, Father, whatever that might be, we pray, Father, that you would help us to honor you so that by so doing, we could silence those who might oppose Christianity or oppose Christ. Help us, Father, to live as a reflection of your goodness and your grace and your greatness. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.